It's good to be here. Good to see everyone out. Thank you for your attendance. Appreciate your presence very much. We are in Acts 11. It's a very interesting chapter. It, it summarizes what's gone up to this point, but it also defines so many of the things that have taken place in these first 10 chapters. So I want a quick review of what's gone on here so we kind of get an idea. I do have I do have uh, one joke from the 100-year-old lady who I deliver, Lonnie and I deliver meals to. When I went in the door this week, she came to the, she was already there, and she was grinning from ear to ear, so I wondered if she had, had a joke for me. And sure enough, she did. She said, now you're the man that I told the joke to, and I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, I got another one. I said, okay. She said, do you know why six is afraid of seven? No, she said, because seven, eight, nine. She got a big kick out of it. So I thought I'd share that with you. But here we are in Acts 11, and a quick review um, of what's gone on so far. Acts 1 was the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that's been the theme for these first 10 chapters, the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 and 4 says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, so this promise of the Holy Spirit Jesus is telling them about, but to wait for the promise of the Father, that's how he referred to this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, uh, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, not many days hence in the, in the King James. So the promise of the Father and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we have that baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one, with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this was that baptism of the Holy Spirit. This was that promise of God there in Acts 2, that Jesus had been preparing them for. And Jesus tells them that this is it. This is the promise of God. This is the, 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 uh, the promise from the prophets. And he's standing up with the 11, Acts 2 and 14, says he raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This was this promise of God. This was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it shall come to pass in, in, my last, in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall see dreams. So he's defining this as the promise of God, as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter defines it as that. So we have that in Acts 1 and Acts 2, the promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. Then Acts 3, we have the early progress of the church directed by this same Holy Spirit. Acts 4, Peter and John are arrested. The persecution's increasing, more preaching. These men being filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 5, we have Ananias and Sapphira, and they lied to and tempted the Holy Spirit, Peter tells us in the first church discipline 
in Acts 6, 7 deacons uh, were chosen to serve and they received the laying on of the hands of the apostles and these miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Then Acts 6 and 7, we have Stephen's address, who was also full of the Spirit, and we have Christianity's first martyr. Acts 8, we have the introduction of Saul. So that started to change everything in Acts. Introduction of Saul. Peter's ministry starts to diminish a little, and then Paul's, at least in the uh, accounting of it by Luke, he focused less on Peter and more on Saul, who would later become Paul. So in Acts 8, we have the introduction of Saul. We have the, the miracles of Philip in Samaria and the conversions he did there. We have Samaritans receiving this Holy Spirit from Peter and John, and we have the conversion of the Ethiopian unit. All these things miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then Acts 9, we have the conversion of Paul, of Saul and the miraculous conversion there. Also, him being filled with the Spirit. Over and over again, the theme so far is the Holy Spirit of God. Then Acts 10 that Ian covered for us last week, the miraculous conversion of Cornelius and their baptism of the Holy Spirit. So over and over again, we see this theme. And so much so that Acts of the Apostles is often referred to as Acts of the Holy Spirit as well. So that brings us to Acts 11. Now Peter's on the defensive because he followed the command of the Holy Spirit, the visions and different things in converting a Gentile. And so he, in his defense, he recites the events of Acts 10. I want to get the last verse in Acts 10, verse 48 tells us he commanded them, commanded the household of Cornelius to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Well, while he's staying in Caesarea, news is getting back to Jerusalem of what he's done. So it beat him back to Jerusalem. So he's there on the defensive. So that brings us to Acts 11. Verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. They contended with him, and that, that means to withdraw thoroughly. That means to separate, to thoroughly oppose. So they were arguing with him, uh, had issue with the fact that he had went in to the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. They didn't bring up baptism. How ironic is that? Their complaint was that he went in to the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. That's the old law. That was against the law of Moses. Their complaint was not that he had baptized them, but that he had gone into these, to these Gentile dogs. And that's how they were regarded. So we'll get more uh, into that in a little bit. Verse 4, But Peter explained to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air, and I, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. 
But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up into, again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren, so six brethren, Jewish brethren, accompanied him, Jewish Christians, accompanied him back to Jerusalem. He says, moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we went into the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us in the beginning. So words, that's an important concept. They weren't going to be saved by prayer. They weren't going to be saved by this baptism of the Holy Spirit. They weren't going to be saved except by the things that Peter was going to tell them. It will tell you words by which you and all your household will be will be saved. Verse 16, Then I remembered the words of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's recounting back to Acts 1. We read that. When Jesus is telling them that they were going to receive this Holy Spirit. Verse 17, If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could withstand God? So Peter's defense, let's summarize this up. So after seeing this vision, seeing it three times, hearing it, the voice in the vision, three times, he received the command to go with them, doubting nothing. So he went with them. And when he gets to Caesarea, he entered into Cornelius' house, and as he spoke, he saw that they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit too, just as they had. Then he realized to resist the necessity of these people for baptism for that household was equivalent to withstanding God. So he baptized them. And then he stayed there a few days. And apparently that was what the Jews were upset about. In verse 18, what was their reaction? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So the facts recounted by Peter had the same effect on the minds of the Jews in Jerusalem that they did on Peter. They immediately praised God. They weren't being bigoted. They weren't being uh, obstinate. They were just trying to impose the law of Moses, just as Peter had been trying to do. Still impose the law of Moses, even though that, that law, Jesus nailed that law to the cross. So Peter was being guided by the Holy Spirit. We need to remember that. Jesus promised them that this Holy Spirit would guide them. John 16 and 12, he said, Jesus speaking said, I have still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you to all truth for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatsoever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it unto you. Peter was being guided by the Holy Spirit. The dream, all of this, was, was direction from God by the Holy Spirit. And the news to these people was astonishing, just as it was to Peter. 
absolutely astonishing. To, to be silent there, verse 18, that means to be speechless, to be dumbfounded. It means to be astonished. And keep in mind that many of these men, at least some of these men, were divinely inspired by God, just as Peter was. They had all received miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. They still didn't quite understand it. The Spirit still had to direct these men, directed them through Peter, and then directed to the, the Jews in Jerusalem, to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. But this was an ongoing problem. This issue of uncircumcised men in the church was an ongoing problem from the time that, that it was from the time it began. We have in Acts 6 and 7, the Bible says, When the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So we had so many Jewish leaders in the church that they were constantly wanting to impose circumcision and the law of the Moses, law of Moses on Christians. Notice they didn't have a problem with Peter baptizing a Gentile. They just thought he should have been circumcised first. And that, that was already being done. And we're assuming that because of Acts 8 and the Ethiopian eunuch, a man from Ethiopia, uh, uh, in all likelihood a black man who could not uh, trace his lineage back to, to uh, Abraham. But he was reading Isaiah. He, was, he had been converted. So in all probability, this was a proselyte. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 was in all probability a proselyte. There was no problem when, when Philip baptized him. No one caused issue with that. That was in Acts 8, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. So the issue is not that they're baptizing Jews. The issue was to baptize a Jew who hadn't been converted to Judaism first. And it was going to be an ongoing problem when Judaizers came up a few years later and tried to impose this this, uh, the law of Moses on Christians. So the Holy Spirit guided Peter into accepting this new truth. Did it with dreams? Did it with direct commandments? Of, and this new truth being God's admission of Gentiles into the kingdom. And that same Spirit of God used the facts dictated by Peter back in Jerusalem to guide the Christian leadership into accepting this new truth of Gentiles in the church uncircumcised Gentiles in the church. It's pretty ironic that the Holy Spirit uses this exact same method today to reach the hearts and minds of mankind. That method is the facts dictated by the Holy Spirit through the apostles and prophets still leads us today through the Holy Scriptures, leads us to all truth. So it started there in Acts 10 and we're still benefiting from the Holy Spirit and the inspiration through these men. Let's talk about another thing that, that this did in these first few verses. It de defines for us what was the beginning. And we, you may hear us say that up here, that Acts 2 was the beginning. Pentecost was the beginning, and we say that. But I think this is an opportunity for me to explain that, why we say that, that Acts 2 was the beginning. And it's interesting because miraculous inspiration of God did not start on Acts 2. There were numerous examples of them receiving the Holy Spirit, receiving miraculous gifts before Acts 2. Acts 10, we have 
we had the uh, limited commission. The 12 were sent out to preach, to heal, to raise the dead, and cast out demons. Then Acts 17, we have the 70 sent out two by two to do the same thing. They came back and said, we can't believe that even the demons are subject unto us through your name. So it was, it was miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit were not, were not uncommon. Then John 22, Jesus told them, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now that's not to say that they got to single-handedly judge what was right and what was wrong. They didn't, they were being directed by the Holy Spirit of God. They didn't even know this same Peter who had given the first gospel sermon 10 years earlier said, the promise was to you, to your children, to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, but it took these three visions and a commandment from the, from the Spirit of God before he would even go with Gentiles let alone baptize them. So they were being directed. They, they forgave sins in the sense of they defined sin in, the, in their writings in the New Testament. And in the same way, they forgave sins, but in the writing, in the preaching of the gospel in the New Testament as they were directed by the Holy Spirit of God. So what was so unusual? If Acts 2 was the beginning what was so unusual about, and there was already miraculous gifts prior to that, what was so unusual? Remember, Jesus promised, uh, told them this would be the promise of the Father. Acts 1 and 4, he called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit is coming upon you. Acts 1 and verse 8. Luke 24 and 49 said, you'll be endued with power from on high. So before his ascension, Jesus here is preparing his apostles for the fact that they were about what they were about to experience was going to be something different they had already been casting out demons they were already raising the dead they were already doing a number of things but this would be something far greater and more powerful than anything they had ever experienced before something peter called the beginning important that's what acts 11 is doing for us here it's defining what has taken place so far this beginning has importance for us. And we've read all this, all the different things that took place on Acts 2. Verse 5, till, uh, verse 6, excuse me, Acts 2 and verse 6, when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them in their own, own language. Not only did these miraculous things take place, cloven tongues, like as a fire set upon each one of them. We don't know if that's on, on the mouth or on the head, the imagination, we have no idea. But it was a signal no one could miss from the apostles to all of the Jews who were gathered on the day of Pentecost. Peter calls it, Acts 11 and 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon us as at the beginning. Then I remembered the words of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift he gave, that he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus. Who was I that I could withstand God? The beginning was in Acts 2. But the beginning for the Gentiles was Acts 10. See, we're defining these things. We're defining, and there's so much we don't know about the Holy Spirit. There's so much we can't understand. We're not capable of understanding. But Peter defines so many steps along the way for us here. The same gift. 
that was their beginning was in Acts 10. I couldn't deny them because their beginning looked just like ours. He referred to those miraculous events of Acts 2 at Pentecost as the unmistakable signal that the dispensation of grace for the Jews had begun. But by the same token, he referred to the miraculous events of the, of the conversion of Cornelius and his household as the unmistakable signal that the dispensation of grace for the Gentiles had begun. Interesting. Interesting. It didn't mean that the church didn't begin in Acts 2. It did. But Gentiles gained entrance. Uncircumcised Gentiles gained entrance into the church after Acts 10. So the beginning at Pentecost, it began the reign of Jesus Christ on his throne, on the throne of David, David in his kingdom. It offered the gift of the Holy Spirit. The reign of the apostles on 12 thrones also began. The Great Commission began to be preached. That gospel, forgiveness, began to be preached in Acts 2. The times of the Gentiles began in Acts 2. They actually benefited from it after Acts 10, but it began in Acts 2. The church of Jesus Christ began in Acts 2. So when you hear that statement, the beginning at Pentecost, you kind of get an idea. Maybe uh, you already knew. It's uh, just nice to, to confirm what we know and what we preach. So the beginning at Caesarea for Gentiles, the signal was the baptism of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, a signal no one could miss. The gift of the Holy Ghost was now extended to Gentiles in baptism. The Great Commission, the gospel of forgiveness, remission of sins began to be formally taught to Gentiles. Word had reached Gentiles earlier, we know that, but as far as formally being preached and also acceptance of uncircumcised Gentiles into the church of Jesus Christ, into the kingdom, began in Acts 10. But we are going to be asked, I've personally been asked, and I'm sure you have too, they received the Holy Spirit before they were baptized, and we know that to be true. So was there salvation before baptism? And we're going to be asked that, and, and if that's true, then... It's in direct violation of a lot of scriptures. But if we take everything in the Bible as being true, then we can apply it like this. Acts 10, Cornelius tells Peter that he that he's a, had an angel appear to him to, and told him to send men to Joppa, Acts 10 and 5, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. So this wasn't something that they prayed on. This They had prayed and the angel appeared unto them. And he said, send for Peter. He'll tell you what you must do. Acts 11 and verse 14. He will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. This wasn't a miraculous baptism of the Holy Spirit that saved them. Words by which you and all your household will be saved. Okay, so first we have to consider this words. And here are the miracles that took place prior to Cornelius and his household being baptized. The angel appeared to Cornelius at the ninth hour. That's the third hour of the day. That's the three o'clock in the afternoon, ninth hour. Broad daylight, angel appeared to him. No mistake could be made there. <coughs> Peter then heard and saw this vision three times. The Spirit of God then commanded Peter to go, doubting nothing. 
Then the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and all his household in a similar manner to the events recorded in Acts 2 at Pentecost. All of thing, these things happened before they were baptized as well. So if we're going to take the one instance, the only instance in the New Testament where a person, where the Holy Spirit is, is where someone's baptized with the Holy Spirit before they're baptized, then we also have to require that they have angels appearing to them, talking to them, that they have commandments of, of holy men of God inspired by the Holy Spirit come to them and tell them what? All these things happened, including the miraculous baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can't apply, you can't say that these men were saved when the angel appeared to Cornelius and an angel appeared to him. So was he saved then? No. How about when Peter received the three visions or the Spirit commanded him to go? They were not saved when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit either. Ian talked about that last week. The reason that they received the Holy Spirit was to convince the apostles to baptize them. It appeared to us as it did to, it appeared to them as it did to us in the beginning. And who was I that I could withstand God? And he commanded them to be baptized. And if that's the case, were they all saved after they heard the word of God from Peter? And I've been asked that question too. Because Romans 10 and 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And, if, and their contention was, they're saved by faith. And if you hear the word, it will produce faith. And that's what it says here, Romans 10 and 17. But Acts 11 and verse 15, Peter says, As I, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as on us in the beginning. So he hadn't even got started good. The fact is that they had heard some about Christ. Peter already tells us that they had heard the word there in Acts 10 and 27. And if hearing was all that was required for salvation to produce faith, and that's a saving faith, why did they make the trip at all? They didn't even need to make the trip at all. But they were instructed to send for Peter, and he would tell them words whereby you and all your family will be saved. And the commandment is to repent. It's the same Peter. To repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That is the commandment, and that was done here in the conversion of Cornelius and his household. So we've kind of defined the things that have come up to this point. In Acts 11 and 19, now we have a whole different section of Acts, where the, the church is expanding some 300 miles to the north, to this place called Antioch. And so we'll go into that section, Acts 11, starting there in verse 19. The Bible says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So up until this point... They had only preached to the Jews and to Gentiles who had been converted or proselytes. But, verse 20, some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. So we're not sure if these Hellenists were, they were Greeks, but we don't know if they were Greek Jews or if they were Greek Gentiles. We're assuming they were Greek Gentiles. 
and that this was taking place shortly after this conversion of Cornelius and his household. But at any rate, about this time, the church was blowing up. Verse 21 tells us the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So the church is expanding, it's blowing up, exploding in all directions. And 300 miles at that point from Jerusalem up to Antioch was a very, very long ways. And we know the Gentiles have been hearing the word. We, had, we uh, referred to this a little bit earlier. Acts 10 and 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, this is in the household of Cornelius. He said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching, pre preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. So they had heard some things about Christ, about Jesus Christ and him being Lord of all. Exactly what they knew, we don't know. But they had heard at least a small amount. There was no preaching being done to Gentiles. We just read that. But through the spreading of the word and different things, the word had gotten out. It had gotten out to Cornelius. And now we have that Acts uh, 8, two chapters earlier, tells us. Saul was consenting unto the death, and that's the death of uh, Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. On down in verse 4, tells us those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So there, this explosion actually started with the persecution. They were spread out in all directions throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then we have the example of, of the eunuch, Acts 8 and verse 38 conversion of, of the Ethiopian eunuch who was in all likelihood a proselyte, a convert, a Gentile convert to Judaism who was then baptized and became a Christian. So we don't know. Need to clarify a few things. We don't know if Cornelius was the first Gentile convert or not. We say that he is. And here's why. We do know that he was the first recognized Gentile convert that hadn't first become a Jew. And he was the first miraculous conversion of a Gentile. And that miraculous conversion changed the law to allow uncircumcised Gentiles into the church. So that's why we call Acts 2 the beginning. And that's why we call Cornelius the first Gentile conversion. In all likelihood he was, but we don't know that for absolute sure. Back to our text, Acts 11, verse 22. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, news of the Antioch church and them doing so well. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with the purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So here, the brethren who were at Antioch and then with Barnabas, who was sent this 300-mile trip to go up there, many were added to the church. Then he leaves to go get Saul. And here we have the, the more and more emphasis on the book of Acts on, on Saul, the apostle Paul. 
Verse 25, then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So, that it, so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were called Christians, first called Christians in Antioch. So from this point on, there's one more chapter. The next chapter is, is an account of Peter. But after that, we have the journeys of Paul. We have the missionary journeys of Paul. He is kind of, Luke is focused on him in the last two-thirds. In the last three ch chapters, four chapters, is the voyage of Paul going to Rome to be tried by, by Caesar. But they were called Christians first at Antioch. Called by who? Well, the Christians were called. They were called each other that. But you have men with miraculous inspiration of God also there. The word called actually means, it's a Greek word, krematizo, and it means to be divinely commanded, admonished or instructed, called. We also know as a family name, Ephesians 3 and verse 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The name's important. His name of prophecy, Isaiah 56 and 5, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place. He's talking about Gentiles. I will give them a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. A few chapters later, God said, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace, Isaiah 62 and 1. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. The name matters. The name we choose to be identified as matters. It's a family name. It's an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. It's a name better than sons and daughters. It's a name designated by the mouth of God, and that name is Christian. It's not hyphenated. It's not this kind of Christian or that. It's Christian, and, and that's the name God gave. That's the name that they used in Antioch because that's the name that God gave them. So that wraps up Acts 11. I appreciate, oh, I need to finish. I've got a few verses. Sorry about that. And in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So this was one of the first New Testament accounts of actual prophecy. You know, so many times we, we say, well, there's going to be something happening, but our normal reaction would be to, let's see how bad it is first, you know. And, and then we may need to take care of our own before we send funds. But this church knows what it's like to to be generous and to sin. That's what these Gentiles did. These Gentiles that were hated by the Jews, their first reaction, that there's a famine coming and we need to get funds up there now. It's not there yet, but it was very uh, admirable of them 
to send that money before it was needed so they would have it in case because they were in a wealthy city. Antioch was a city of trade. It was wealthy. Jerusalem was not. And the, and the brothers and sisters in, in Jerusalem were struggling uh, without the trade that they had, without the shipping that they had. And uh, the first big Gentile church went out of their way to send funds to Jerusalem. So that's our study for tonight. appreciate your presence. Uh, I enjoyed it. Hopefully it will have something there for you you can, you can reflect on during the week. We don't want to close without offering an invitation to anyone that might have a need. If there's a gospel subject in the audience tonight, we'd ask you to come. Let your wishes be known as we stand and sing. <laughs>